Horror movies are more than just empty thrills. They are a mirror that reflects the darker sides of our culture and our psyche. Each episode, we will go beyond the first cut and discuss the themes and topics that hide below the surface. I'm Dave, Professor of Communication. And I'm Vince, Professor of Psychology. Welcome to A Dark Impression. Hi, and welcome to A Dark Impression. I'm Dave, and I'm here with uh, Vince today. Hi, everyone. Um, we're going to be talking about two films, uh, The Exorcist and The Conjuring 3, or The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. So, The Exorcist uh, was originally a novel uh, written by uh, William Peter Blatty um, that was adapted uh, into movie format in 1973. It was directed by um, William Friedkin, and uh, it stars um, Ellen Burstyn and Linda Blair and a host of, of other uh, important actors from, from the era. Including Max von Sydow. Yes, including the unmatchable Max von Sydow. Uh, the Conjuring 3 or The Conjuring The Devil Made Me Do It, we'll just refer to it as The Conjuring from here on out, from 2021, was directed by Michael Chavez, starring Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. It's the third in the Conjuring series, uh, originally developed by James Wan. Which is a really good series. In terms of, of modern takes on the horror genre, I really am a big fan of the Conjuring movies. Yeah, I enjoyed them a lot, too. I think that they they have just enough of a retro horror feel to appeal to any horror fan. Like, if you're not a fan of modern horror, you can grasp onto the Conjuring. Right. Uh, but they're modern enough in their storytelling that they don't feel sluggish or, um, you know, looking back on it using amateurish techniques, which at the time might not have been, but now are. Uh, so they're they're just like a, a a great, solid horror series. Grab on to Patrick Wilson's sideburns and enjoy the, <laughs> and the horror the ride. ride. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so I think that the first thing that, you wanted to talk about one of the things that that really impressed you with both of the films was their use of practical effects uh, as opposed to, well, CGI not yet around, uh, or at least in its current form for The Exorcist. But uh, in today's world, I feel like everything is using CGI yep. as a quick and easy way to make scares happen. But, you know, you look back at the uh, Star Wars films from the early 2000s. No, you and, don't. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> You don't uh, look back. They, they get dated very quickly, and it really ruins the immersion. Um, and I think that that's it's a really great point when talking about the Conjuring to 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 talk about the use of not no CGI but limited CGI, and then compare that with the the practical effects from The Exorcist, which right. still look frighteningly real. Going on with my background in in psych and neuroscience, we're good at perceiving some things, not everything, and, and some areas were just horrible. But we have a pretty good sense of what's real and what's not real. And that's been a challenge. For a while, the CGI was bad enough that we knew it was CGI, and it was okay. We kind of embraced that it was a different type of animation. And then came those weird years of CGI where it was good enough that we thought we could fool the eye of the viewers, and you're referring to like the early 2000s, but clearly it wasn't good. And there was a lot of movies around that time that overused that CGI because it was new, because it was, I guess, uh, it felt cheaper on the budget than using practical effects and so on. 
And I think we're seeing more and more now a um, desire for a hybrid between practical effects and um, some CGI, but to really minimize as much as possible because the human eye will spot what is not real and we're, we're pretty good at it versus the excesses that had no access to that kind of technology. But it's really scary because when Reagan's head starts spinning around, sure, you know that it, it's, it's most likely not an actor, uh, hopefully. Uh, it's actually an animatronic, but it's still pretty freaky to see the head spin around like that. For horror to be good, you have to immerse yourself. You have to completely suspend your disbelief which is easier to do in a drama movie or a comedy. Horror requires a little bit more of a suspension of, of disbelief, which is broken the moment that there is a cheap kind of special effect that's thrown in, as opposed to The Exorcist, which kept it minimal and kept it practical, so that when they threw something at you, like pea soup, your eye is not catching anything that doesn't look real. It looks like real vomit. So I thought that was one of the things that makes, still makes The Exorcist such a great movie. Yeah, it definitely holds up. The big thing with these types of films, possession films, is that a lot of the horror is unseen. It's not like we, we talked about in the last episode. It's not a uh, serial killer running around your house after you. Mm it's the devil or a spirit or a, an evil entity inside of somebody's body. Mm -hmm. So you have, as a filmmaker, you have a lot of these opportunities to explore horror in a very practical visual way mm -hmm. uh, without having to, uh, you know, it's not like you're, you're, you're making a full alien suit or something like that for your actors right. or using a CGI alien. Uh, you're you're using an actor and you're having them look maybe with some you know prosthesis some uh, you know some blood some gunk some pea soup whatever the case might be to uh, accentuate the horror but the real horror is in their movements it's in the way that they speak mm -hmm. and uh, the way they hold their body because it's always just sometimes wildly different but a lot of times it's just subtly different it's more just like oh yeah something's definitely wrong with that person. And, um, and then it's, okay, let's dive into it and explore it. And The Conjuring does this great job of doing that throughout all three of the film, uh, relying more on the drama of the situation than on the actual horror. It's not like, oh, God, what was that movie from a few, not a few years ago now, a long time ago with Arnold and he fights the devil? Uh, six, end of six days. Day, end of day. Something. End of days. It, you know, it's not, so it's not like... Um, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga are fighting the <laughs> devil at the end of the film. They're not. They're they're trying to banish these evil spirits from the person. They're trying to save the person. So the focus is always on the individual. It's always on that interaction between them as people mm -hmm. uh, and the the possessed individual as a person. Um, so they are doing battle with evil entities, but the evil entities are um, they're they're not seen. That brings a point to my, uh, to my mind compared to our previous episode where we were talking about slasher movies. Uh, in slasher movies, the victims die. That, that's, that's what you watch a slasher movie for because people are going to die. When you look at The Exorcist and when you look at um, The Third Conjuring especially, but also the other ones, um, the victims, the primary victims, uh, Reagan in The Exorcist and... Um, I don't remember the, the name of the character in uh, The Conjuring, um, but the uh, lead kind of victim. 
both of them are still alive. It's that transformation, that painful transformation, uh, and what the evil entity is imp- uh, able to inflict on them. Uh, that's the true horror. It's not death that's the horror. It's everything that comes before the death of the character. For me, that's the scariest thing about possession movies. I, I tend to, well, I can watch basically any horror film and I'm fine. Possession films creep me out much more than any of the other genres because it's that loss of control that like inside of me, I know I shouldn't be doing this thing, but I can't control what my body's doing. And that scares the bejesus out of me. And it's just like, I guess I have this, um, this aversion to loss of control. Uh, I, I tend to like to be in control of situations and really like, even in the slasher films, okay, I'll leave the house. Like I'll run away uh, if I don't freeze, but I'll run away. I'll run out of the house. I'll go to the neighbor. I'll call the cop. I still have some element of control. Mm -hmm. If the devil is possessing my body, I might want to do those things, but I can't because I can't use my, my limbs and I'm going to, you know, vomit pea soup and spin my head around, um, which isn't ideal. And so I think for, for me at like a, um, uh, maybe like a subconscious level, but also a conscious level, there's that kind of that fear that comes with that. But then, like thinking about psychology too, like the fear that would come with a mental illness, like, like schizophrenia, uh, where you as an individual, you might recognize that what you're doing, uh, it might be, you might have lucid moments where you recognize like, oh, I shouldn't be doing those things, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean you can stop like a compulsion. Right. So I, I think that's, that's where a lot of those possession movies kind of strike home, uh, especially in Western culture, where we have a specific understanding of the mind, whatever that is, whether you are more like a a Cartesian thinker of uh, a dualism, the mind separated from the body, or if you're more into uh, embodied uh, cognition, but the mind is supposed to have control over the body. That's what we learn through developments. You learn to control your body. And then you have your teenage years where your body tries to control your thoughts. But eventually, you know, if, if all goes well, you reach adulthood and you have control over your body. And then you have those possession movies where you're conscious, you're aware of things that are happening. I mean, Reagan was somewhere in there enough that she could kind of poke on her own belly help uh, which is one really crazy scene. I, I really like that scene where she's trying to message the outside. But even though she's in there, she has lost control over the body. Same thing for uh, uh, the character in The Conjuring. He lost control over his body to the point of murdering someone. Now, that's something that is uh, a, a common trope, mental illness leading to violence. We have to understand that more often people who are suffering from Uh, psychological disorders are victims of violence, not not the perpetrators uh, of violence. Uh, So that's one thing that's been used a lot in in movies. But yeah, in possession, you are there, you're witnessing your absence of control over your own body, which is really scary. And there are a few disorders um, or conditions in in the realm of psychology that can create that. You You can think of epilepsy where you know if you uh, have seizures you lose control over your body or if you're starting to have visual hallucinations which is uh, sometimes happening to people who are suffering from uh, temporal lobe based epilepsy they'll see things that aren't there and those things might appear to be really really real when you're talking you were talking about uh, schizophrenia when people are uh, experiencing uh, delusions or hallucinations so either false beliefs about uh, um, the world and and events happening or 
hallucinations, seeing, hearing, feeling, smelling things that aren't there. Sometimes you're aware that those are not real, but sometimes you're not. And it's, it is scary to a lot of people to think that control that I think I have over myself is in part an illusion and it could go away easily either through medical causes or in the case of those movies because of an evil outside entity that comes in and possesses you. Do you think that there is um, a correlation between the primarily I found in, in watching possession related films, uh, the, the victims of possession tend to be um, anywhere from young adolescent through early adulthood. Do you think that there's a correlation be between that and the emergence of uh, mental illness uh, tends to, I guess, mental illness tends to emerge around. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, it tends no, to emerge no. around that time period too. Uh, you're onto something. There is this for a lot of disorders, not all of them, uh, but for a lot of disorders, there is this sort of critical period of development uh, where you may see more greater incidence of the disorders. So, for example, schizophrenia typically will manifest itself. The first full-blown episode of psychosis will happen during. Uh, late adolescence, early adulthood, until like mid-20s. You may see some uh, signs before, but the full-blown uh, uh, episode of psychosis. Major depression, obsessive-compulsive disorder, bipolar disorder, all of them are tied to sort of this uh, um, adolescence into early adulthood, which, you're right, covers those typical characters from uh, the possession genre that are or not... All of them, but a lot of them uh, are in this range. You can think of, of um, the exorcism of Emily Rose. That's one example where the character was, she was in college. Um, you have the last exorcism also. Uh, she was a, a teenager, young adult. So there is, I, I think, a specific age. Do you think that's written in not just because of the psych part, but because of the general audience for horror movies that people will identify more with victims that are their age because it's, teenagers and young adults that typically watch those movies. Yeah, I, I think that that's a big part of it. Horror films do tend to be marketed directly toward uh, particularly teenagers. Um, P, if you can get a PG-13 rating on a horror film, you're going to make a lot more money than an R-rated horror film. Well, usually, uh, and that's simply because teenagers can go see it in the theater. I mean, I guess not anymore, but <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how that, how that changes from the pandemic. But uh, yeah, the, it's always nice to see in a film somebody you can relate to, even if that person is possessed by the devil. Right. I suppose. And that also increases the fear of it, too, because if it's if if the character starts off as this relatable character that so happens to be, you know, whatever, uh, 18 and I'm 18. I'm not. But if I were, <laughs> yeah. um, it, I, I might be able to see some myself in that character. Mm -hmm. And then when that character kind of goes into the throes of possession, it's scarier because now I'm thinking in my head, like, what if, what would I do in that mm -hmm. situation? So it really, um, uh, it really personalizes the, the horror experience. Uh, I think much more so than most other subgenres of horror film. Um, it, it can, it can impact you, uh, as a viewer at a lot more of a, um, like, I guess, foundational level, mm -hmm. uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it, the connection feels more intimate, more intimate, personal. Yeah, intimate yeah. Is, a better, is a better word. I know a lot yeah. more of an int intimate level. And, you know, I, I, I think that it's that. It's also 
the the fact that and I don't know if the film filmmakers are always aware of what they're writing or if they're just very good at connecting with the way that a story should be told. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I guess quote unquote should, right. uh, because there's of course thousands of ways to tell a story, but those stories work so well because as a society we're as people in society, we're going through these massive changes mm-hmm. among ar- around that time that, that those teen years are tumultuous. Yep. And I think adding another layer onto it, just makes it that much more horrifying. Not only do I have to go through puberty and figure out what I can and can't do in the world and know how I want to spend the rest of my life, but now I'm also possessed by an evil entity, and that sucks even worse than having to do all the other stuff too. Right. Although it's interesting because The Exorcist was written in the early 70s, and uh, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, is also set in, I believe, the uh, early 80s. So it's, yeah, it's right around the same time period. Yeah, so we don't have sort of a modern-ish example of that. Uh, the only thing, I can, the only one I can think of is um, the Exorcism of Emily Rose, which was kind of set in a more uh, modern time. But you're right; it's it's you know those rites of passage, and then if you go through those rites of passage, I guess it opens you up to quote unquote external influence, mm. uh, which. In our first episode, we talked about uh, um, virtue and being yourself uh, as sort of the rite of passage. For the possession ones, it's, I guess, you resist the outside uh, force that's trying to uh, influence you. If you can. If you can, yeah. And this also goes into the the topic of the rational world versus the spiritual world um, and bringing in religion into the mix Mm -hmm. and you know religion i I feel like adolescence is usually the part where people start to push back against religion it might be their first time pushing back like challenging some of the dogma Mm -hmm. um whether or not they stay with it or not but um but i feel like a lot of that like you as an adolescent you start to think about the world around you in a different way it's no longer just well my parents said this Mm -hmm. so it's true now it's what does my lived experience tell me right and you know, I think that, that that comes into play a lot when we're talking about possession and this idea of religion being this saving force. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of reinforces that idea that, um, you know, don't stray too far from the flock because right. it's dangerous out there. We can protect you. But it's interesting because in The Exorcist, um, Reagan is not necessarily a, a, a believer. Neither is her mom. Um, they play uh, on the Ouija board uh, like it's a game. And then even when they meet Father uh, Father Karras, who is a priest, he pushes them towards psychiatry. So it's you have in this movie kind of a, a desire to go towards more rational. And when all else fails, then comes in this mysterious figure uh, played uh, uh, monumentally and just great by uh, Max von Sydow, uh, The Exorcist, the the, the dark, uh, uh, brooding, uh, but ultimately strong spiritual guide. Uh, so it's there's that conflict between sort of a, a, the the rational perspective and then the spiritual perspective, um, and and you have all those scenes at the hospital to show that science cannot explain dot dot dot, uh, trying to preserve a world that is bigger than just the world of um, of religion. And then in the 
Conjuring movie, it's, again, religion, but now it's against the law. The law says, and it's based on reason, blah, 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 but now you have religion that could explain why something happened and save the day. So it's or religion or it's more of a spiritual understanding of the world. So it's it's interesting in those two movies, the, the clash between yeah, reason and spiritual view of the world. Um, that they try to enforce in the exorcist, they try to enforce the uh, rational, but then have to turn towards the spiritual at the end. In uh, the Conjuring, it is a r- rational that's enforced, but it's the yeah, also the, the the spiritual that gets to save the day. So let me ask you this: so one thing that particularly stuck uh, for me with the exorcist is the practical uh, practical effects. Um, the twisted body of Reagan climbing down the stairs, uh, which is kind of uh, also replicated in uh, The Conjuring, where uh, the the boy at the beginning of the movie uh, kind of pretzels his way uh, onto the table. Then there's the um, the practical effect of the help message on Reagan's belly, which again was kind of echoed in uh, The Conjuring when uh, the boy is uh, looking at the waterbed and there's right, this right, right. this hand in the waterbed. I wonder, like, is this on its own, the practical effect, those body kind of transformation, um, are those tools that you could export in uh, movies independent of the cause? Is that what's generating kind of our uh, um, visceral reaction of, oh, is this, is it just seeing a body pretzeled and still talking and active whether it is because of possession or a- another cost, is that enough to make us feel queasy? So could a director actually export that in a different culture and still get that visceral response of uh, of fear? I-, I would imagine that a contorted human body is universally seen as not a good sign if uh if uh, unless you're the one controlling it i suppose right. <laughs> um but uh yeah I, but yeah it would be interesting i would really like to see what different cultures adaptations of the exorcist would look like um you know i it, i just think it would be really cool to to see what would still scare me or unsettle me and what i would look at and be like that's ridiculous yeah maybe they would completely remove the concept of possession and include something that is more culturally scary to different cultures, whether it is an illness, a a, a parasite or whatnot, uh, and make that the cause of all the effects that we see. So what we're afraid of is not the presence of of Pazuzu, this weird entity that appears like three times in the movie, but what really scares us is the lack of control, no matter what the cause is, and what that lack of control can do to our body while we just witness it. My guess is that we're going to see a lot more of these films come out in the next few years um, as a response to the, um, the COVID pandemic, this idea of, of lost control uh, while the symptoms of COVID do not mimic that of uh, the exorcist. I think that that, that sort of baseline horror is still there. That feeling of, I can't leave my house because there's something that, could Mm -hmm. hurt me it's the invisible enemy right and i can't control if the person next to me has it or not and i don't know if they have it or not yeah so i think i think we're going to see this idea explored in more depth in more ways 
within the next few years. Um, and I'm looking forward to it because I think it's it's one of those overlooked subgenres of horror where you have some really great examples of it. But but like you said, the last possession film I can think of that's not part of the Conjuring series is um, is Emily Rose. And that's from what, like 2003, five, something like around that? that. Yeah. And that's a long time. Uh, yeah. So we know because the devil lost a few feathers. Right. Yeah. The devil wasn't cool anymore. Nope. And uh, the the Conjuring, I think, brought it back, but mm-hmm. it's still it's a it's a movie that's a very much a throwback, right? So, what does a modern take of Possession look like? Insidious, insidious, yeah, yeah, okay, insidious, yeah, yeah. So, there's a few attempts here and there, but there's no. Um, Is that I mean, part of the Conjuring world? No, it's part of Patrick Wilson's world. <laughs> oh, right, yeah, he is in that too. Okay, I wasn't sure if that's one of those crossover because you get like the the nun movies. Yes, which is part of the the Conjuring universe. But yeah, it's the invisible enemy, the invisible invader uh, that that kind of lays its uh, um, strings on you and make you dance uh, for its own pleasure. It's it's not something that's been around that much in recent years. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Maybe the um, the pandemic will kind of trigger a new wave of that. Thanks for taking the time to listen to A Dark Impression. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Rating and reviews make the world a scarier place. Consider leaving one wherever you get your podcasts. A Dark Impression was produced and edited by Vince and Dave. All movies are copyright their respective sources. Music is from Adobe Stock. All rights reserved.